so we've now reached this chapter, Babun Man Ata'al Ulama Wal Umara Fi Tahrimi Ma Ahallallah Aw Tahlili Ma Harramahullah Fakadit Tahadahum Arbaba. The chapter regarding whomsoever obeys the scholars and the leaders in making haram what Allah has made halal, or making halal what Allah has made haram, then he has taken them as lords, has taken them as partners besides Allah. So declaring something to be halal, or making something haram, that is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. مَنْ أَطَاعَ الْعُلَمَاء وَالْأُمَرَاء هَذَا شَرْطٌ وَجَوَابُهُ وَذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ التَّحْلِيلِ وَالتَّحْرِيمِ حَقٌّ لِلَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ لَا يُشَارِكُهُ فِيهِ أَحَدٌ فَمَنْ حَلَّلَ أَوْ حَرَّمَ مِنْ غَيْرِ دَلِيلٍ مِنْ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَقَدْ جَعَلَ نَفْسَهُ شَرِيكًا لِلَّهِ the right of making halal and making haram is to Allah alone. And nobody else has the right to declare something to be halal or declare something to be haram. Whomsoever does that without evidence from the book of Allah and the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, then he has made himself a partner to Allah in making those rulings of halal and haram without any evidence. وَمَنْ أَطَاعَهُ فَقَدْ أَشْرَكَهُ مَعَ اللَّهِ فِي التَّشْرِيعِ And whomsoever follows that person, obeys him in this halal and haram that he has made without proof, then it is now that you have committed shirk, i.e. you have made him a partner alongside Allah and taken him as a lord in that sense. وَلَيْسَ فِي الْآيَةِ الَّتِي سَيُورِدُهَا الْمُسَنِّفُ ذِكْرٌ لِلْأُمَرَاءِ وَإِنَّمَا هُوَ إِشَارَةٌ إِلَى قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى وَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا إِنَّا أَطَعْنَا سَادَتَنَا وَكُبَرَاءَنَا فَأَضَلُّونَ السَّبِيلَا That our Lord, they will say, they said, our Lord, indeed, we obeyed our leaders and our elders, and they misguided us away from the path. So here the chapter is talking about obeying creation. Obeying individuals in creation who make halal that which Allah has made haram. Or make haram that which Allah has made halal. And that this is an act of shirk to do so. وَهَذَا يُسَمَّ شِرْكُ الطَّاعَةِ This is what is termed as the shirk of obedience. لِأَنَّ الْعِبَادَةِ مَعْنَاهَا 
Ta'atullahi subhanahu wa ta'ala bi fi'li awamirih wa tarki nawahih. Worship, the meaning of worship is obedience to Allah by fulfilling His commandments and leaving His prohibitions. وَمِنْ ذَلِكَ مَسْأَلَةُ التَّحْلِيلُ وَالتَّحْرِيمُ And from amongst that, in obeying the commandments of Allah, and staying away from the prohibitions, part of that is, this issue of making halal and making haram, that you stick to what Allah has made halal, and you stay away from what Allah has made haram, and not go beyond that, فَهِيَ دَاخِلَ فِي الْعِبَادَةِ So this issue, it comes into worship. بِدَلِيلْ قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى لَمَّا ذَكَرَ مَا يَفْعَلُهُ الْمُشْرِكُونَ مِنْ اسْتِبَاحَةْ مَا حَرَّمَهُ اللَّهِ مِنَ الْمَيْتَةِ الَّتِي حَرَّمَهَا وَهُمْ يَسْتَحِلُّونَهَا وَيَقُولُونَ هِيَ أَوْلَى بِالْأَكْلِ مِنَ الْمُذَكَّاهِ لِأَنَّ الْمُذَكَّاهِ وَأَمَّا الْمَيْتَةِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الَّذِي ذَبَحَهَا This is what they say. Those individuals, the mushrikeen, they used to make it halal to eat the dead animals which have not been slaughtered. Animals that have not been slaughtered in the Islamic manner. And they would say, these dead animals are more deserving to be eaten than the animals you have slaughtered properly. Because the ones that you slaughter and kill, that is your action of humans. Whereas these animals that we find dead, their corpses, they have been given death directly by Allah. They have been slaughtered by Allah. It is as if they've been slaughtered by Allah, but you are the one slaughtering these other ones. So we will eat the ones slaughtered by Allah, they say. So upon this complete misguidance of theirs, they made it halal to eat that which is haram. Allah made it haram to eat the dead animals that have not been slaughtered in the proper Islamic manner. Then, <coughs> he goes on to mention, طَاعَةُ الْعُلَمَاءِ وَالْأُمَرَاءِ فِي مِثْلِ هَذَا شِرْكِ فِي تَحْلِيرِ مَا حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ أَوْ تَحْرِيمِ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهِ So to obey the leaders, the people in authority, in making halal what Allah has made haram, or making haram what Allah has made halal, this is impermissible and it is uh, shirk. فَإِنْ كَانَ الَّذِي أَطَاعَهُمْ يَعْلَمُ أَنَّهُمْ خَالَفُوا أَمْرَ اللَّهِ فِي ذَلِكَ وَتَعَمَّدَ طَاعَتَهُمْ وَاسْتَبَاحَ هَذَا فَهَذَا شِرْكٌ أَكْبَرْ يُخْرِجُ مِنَ الْمِلَّةِ if a person knew what he was doing, and he knew that such and such was making halal that which Allah has made haram, and making haram that which Allah has made halal, yet he still follows them in that purposely, intentionally, then this person has committed major shirk, exiting from the fold of Islam. وَإِنْ كَانَ الَّذِي أَطَاعَهُمْ يَعْتَقِدُ أَنَّ هَذَا حَرَامٌ وَيَعْتَرِفُ أَنَّ هَذَا خَطَأٌ وَلَكِنَّهُ أَطَاعَهُمْ لِهَوَى فِي نَفْسِهِ أَوْ رَغْبَ فِي نَفْسِهِ مَعْ تِرَافِهِ بِالْمَعْصِيَةِ فَهَذَا شِرْكٌ أَصْغَرٌ If, however, a person realizes that it is not permissible for them to be doing what they are doing in making the halal haram and haram halal, yet he follows them in that due to some other desire or some other uh, goal or objective he has, 
then this would be minor shirk and it would not be major shirk. Because he realizes and he knows it's haram and he does not uh, believe that this is something permissible or correct. But he does it out of sinning, then this would be minor shirk. If a person didn't know that these rulers or these people in authority have made something halal which Allah actually made haram, he doesn't even know that. He doesn't know that this is something haram in the legislation. Or they have made something haram which Allah has made halal. And he doesn't even know that this is actually something halal. So he follows the people in authority, not knowing. Then this type of person is excused due to his ignorance. If the likes of him are uh, uh, those who would be excused for ignorance. أَمَّا طَاعَةُ الْعُلَمَا وَالْأُمَرَ فِي غَيْرِ مَعْصِيَةِ اللَّهِ فَهَذَا أَمْرٌ As for obeying the scholars and leaders... In other than sinning, these affairs are incorrect. But besides this, where the leaders and the rulers and the people in authority are commanding you to do things which are within the legislation, then it is an obligation upon you to obey them. It is an obligation to obey them. Allah said in the Quran, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu ati'ullah wa ati'ul wa ulil amri minkum. O you who believe, obey Allah and obey the Messenger and those in authority over you. So the obedience to the people in authority, the scholars, the leaders, as long as it is not sinning, then it is otherwise an act upon you which is obligatory. Amrun awjabahullahu ala nas. It is something Allah has made obligatory upon the people. فَلَيْسَتْ طَاعَةُ فَلَيْسَتْ طَاعَةُ وُلَاتِ الْأُمُورِ مَمْنُوعَ مُطْلَقًا وَلَا جَائِزَ مُطْلَقًا Therefore you don't obey the rulers in everything absolutely, and neither do you disobey them in everything absolutely. بَلْ فِيهَا هَذَا التَّفْصِيلَ الَّذِي لَا بُدَّ مِنْهُ Rather, there is this differentiation that we have just explained. If it is in haram, then you do not obey them. But anything besides that which is halal and legislated, obligatory upon you to obey them. Then we have the statement of Ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, Habrul Ummah, Tarjuman al-Quran, Abdullah ibn Abbas, ibn Abdul Muttalib, ibn Ammi, Nabi Sallam. The... First cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdullah ibn Abbas. In this narration he mentions, يُوشِكُ أَن تَنزِلَ عَلَيْكُمْ حِجَارَةٌ مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ أَقُولْ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَتَقُولُونَ قَالَ أَبُو بَكَرُ عُمَرُ He said to them, it is as if the rocks are going to fall upon you from the skies. It is as if the stones are going to fall upon you from the skies, from the heavens. I am telling you the messenger of Allah said such and such, and you are saying, but Abu Bakr and Umar said such and such. I am telling you the messenger of Allah said this and that, and you are responding and saying, Abu Bakr and Umar though said this and that. 
هذا هو السبب الذي يوجب نزول الحجارة وهو طاعة العلماء والأمراء فيما يخالف شرع الله قال ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما هذه المقالة لما بلغه أن أبا بكر عمر رضي الله عنهما الخليفتين الراشدين كانا لا يرايان فسخ الحج إلى العمرة بينما رسول الله وسلم أمر بفسخ الحج إلى العمرة لمن لم يسق الهدي This was an issue regarding Hajj. This narration where Ibn Abbas mentioned that the stones are about to collapse upon your heads. I'm telling you the Messenger of Allah said such and such, and you're telling me that Abu Bakr and Umar said such and such. It was regarding Hajj. As you're aware, there are three different types of ways to do Hajj. There is the Tamattu' and there is the Qiran. And there is the ifrat, three different ways of doing hajj. Here this issue was about that, the mannerism of doing hajj. And which type of way should you do the hajj, and what is the rulings of those types of ways, and whether you've got an animal with you that you're going to slaughter on the day of Eid or not, then the impact that has upon the type of hajj you should do, so here Ibn Abbas was explaining to them what the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned regarding one of those issues. But it reached him that Abu Bakr and Umar actually hold a different opinion upon that particular issue. Despite the fact that the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned something else. So he was telling them what the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned. And they... Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhuma had a different opinion on this. فَهَذَا عِنْدَ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَبَّاسِ رَضِيَ anhuma يَدُلُّ عَلَى وُجُوبِ فَسْخِ الْحَجِّ إِلَى الْعُمْرَةِ لِمَنْ لَمْ يَسُقِ الْهَدِي A person who hasn't got an animal with them that they take to hajj, that they will slaughter on the day of Eid. If they haven't got that with them, then the ruling... That Ibn Abbas was mentioning from the Prophet ﷺ was that you should come out of the rites once you finished your Umrah. Do a separate Umrah, then come out of the Ihram, then go back into Ihram and do the Hajj. Tamattu. If you haven't brought an animal with you to slaughter. And that is what the Prophet ﷺ had done, or commanded rather, the others to do. Because he himself had actually taken an animal. But the other companions who hadn't, he told them, come out of your ihram after umrah, and then go back into the ihram. So that was a type of hajj. لِأَنَّهُ أَمَرَ بِذَلِكَ أَصْحَابَهُ أَكَّدَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَمَّا خَالَفَ ذَلِكَ الْخَلِيفَتَانِ الرَّاشِدَانِ أَبُو بَكْرُ وَعُمَرُ وَرَأَيَا أَنَّهُ لَا يَجِبُ فَسْخَ الْحَجْ إِلَى الْعُمْرَةِ بَلِ الْمُضِيء فِي الْإِفْرَادِ أَفْضَلْ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ لَا يُهْجَرَ الْبَيْتِ فِي بَقِيَّةِ سَنَةِ لأن الحاج إذا جمع بين الحج والعمرة في سفر واحد فهذا مما يسبب أن لا أن لا يأتي الناس مرة أخرى للعمرة بل يكتفون بسفر واحد. So Abu Bakr and Umar رضي الله عنهما did not consider it a need to do your Umrah separate and then your Hajj separate as tamattu. They considered it better to do the ifrad Hajj alone without an Umrah. Because one of the reasonings they gave was, if people do the other types of hajj where you do hajj and umrah all in one go, then people would not come back in the rest of the year for umrah. They would only make that one trip at hajj time, do their hajj and do their umrah, 
and then won't come back again for the rest of the year. There'll be no one barely coming. <coughs> so they were saying it's better to do the ifrad, the type of hajj which is hajj alone without an umrah. Whereas Ibn Abbas was saying, but the Prophet I'm telling you said, if you haven't brought an animal with you, then do your umrah separate and then do your hajj all in one go. So here he said to them, I'm telling you what the Prophet said, you're telling me what Abu Bakr and Umrah are saying, it's as if the stones will fall upon your head. So هذه وجهة نظرهما, this was their opinion, Abu Bakr and Umar, and this was their ijtihad, رضي الله عنهما. فَإِذَا كَانَ ابْنَ عَبَّاسِ يُنْكِرُ عَلَى مَنْ أَخَذَ بِرَأِي الْخَلِيفَتَيْنِ الرَّاشِدَيْنِ بَبَكْرُ عُمَرِ لِأَنَّهُ اجْتِهَادْ مُخَالِفٌ لِلنَّصْ وَأَنَّ ذَلِكَ يُوجِبُ الْعُقُوبَ فَكَيْفَ بِطَاعَةِ الْعُلَمَاءِ وَالْأُمَرَ فِي التَّحْلِيلِ وَالتَّحْلِيمِ مِنْ غَيْرِ دَلِيلِ Here Ibn Abbas was rebuking these people, refuting them for taking the opinion of Abu Bakr and Umar رضي الله عنهما because as far as he was concerned, he had a clear proof from the Prophet that you're supposed to do the Umrah and then the Hajj in that trip. Whereas the opinion and the ijtihad of Abu Bakr and Umar on that situation was that do just the Hajj alone. So he was refuting these people for taking that opinion of Abu Bakr and Umar. And this was Abu Bakr and Umar, the first and the second Khalifa radiallahu anhuma. If Ibn Abbas was refuting the people for taking the opinion of Abu Bakr and Umar, because he had an evidence from the Prophet ﷺ opposing that view, then what therefore if people blindly follow other individuals who don't even have any proof for ijtihad in the first place? This was Abu Bakr and Umar that people were following. But otherwise, nowadays people blindly follow anyone. Nowhere near to the station and the rank of Abu Bakr and Umar So here you see, if even Abu Bakr and Umar and the people were following them, those people were still being refuted or rebuked by Ibn Abbas for doing so. Because he had that evidence which appeared to indicate that the ijtihad of Abu Bakr and Umar was not in accordance to what the evidence indicated. وَهَذَا مِمَّا يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ وُجُوبِ احْتِرَامِ سُنَّةِ الرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمِ This therefore indicates the obligation of respecting the sunnah of the Prophet وَأَنَّهَا هِيَ الْمُنْتَهَى بَعْدَ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَ And that is the, the source that you go to after the book of Allah. وَأَنَّهُ إِذَا حَصَلَ اِجْتِهَادٍ مِنَ الْمُجْتَهِدِينَ يَجِبُ عَرْضُهُ عَلَى كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةِ الرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهِ فَمَا قَامَ عَلَيْهِ الدَّلِيلَ خَذْنَا وَمَا خَالَفَ الدَّلِيلَ تَرَكْنَا And anybody who makes ijtihad, you've got to put that ijtihad onto the balance, the criteria of the Quran and the Sunnah. If the ijtihad matches what is in the Qur'an and the sunnah and the evidences, then you take it. If the ijtihad opposes what is in the Qur'an and the sunnah, then you must leave that ijtihad. وَإِنْ كَانَ قَائِلُهُ مِنْ أَفْضَلِ النَّاسِ Doesn't matter who is the one making the ijtihad, could be the best of the people. People, the likes of Abu Bakr and Umar. But if the ijtihad is in opposition, is in opposition to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then that opposition is to be left. Whoever that person may be saying it. وَالِجْتِهَادْ سَائِغْ And making ijtihad is of course permissible. It is uh, <coughs> correct and permissible to try to derive the understandings from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. But if the ijtihad is incorrect, then you do not follow the false or the incorrect ijtihad.
Then you have the statement of Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Imam Ahl-Sunnah, As-Sabiru ala al-Mihna, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. He said, عَجِبْتُ لِقَوْمٍ عَرَفُ الْإِسْنَادُ وَصِحَّتَهُ يَذْهَبُونَ إِلَى رَأْيِ سُفْيَانَ وَاللَّهُ تَعَالَ يَقُولُ فَلْيَحْضِرِ الَّذِينَ فَلْيَحْضَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْ تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةٌ أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ أَحْمَدُ بْنُ حَمْدٍ سَأَلَ أَيْمَانَكَ أَيْمَانَكَ who know about the chains of narration and their authenticities, yet they still go and take the opinion of Sufyan. Meaning, that I'm amazed, he says, people who know the evidences, they know the chains of narration, <coughs> they know who the narrators are. And despite knowing all of that knowledge, narrators and chains of narration that are required to understand the authenticity of evidences and to understand which evidences are authentic and can be accepted and which evidences are not authentic and cannot be accepted. And the scholars, they differentiated between the narrations by examining these sciences of hadith so Imam Ahmad says, I am amazed at a group of people, at those people who know all of this knowledge, know the chains and know the authenticities and the narrations. Yet, they go to the statement of uh, this one or that one. Sufyan, he mentions here, they go to the statements of uh, the others from the scholars, Sufyan al-Thawri or others from the Salaf, and they leave those narrations even though they know about them and the knowledge of them, and yet they go to the statements of others making ijtihad. وَفِي هَذَا رَدٌ عَلَى بَعْدِ الْمُتَشَدِّقِينَ مِنْ بَعْدِ الْعَصْرِيِّينَ الْعَقْلَانِيِّينَ الَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ حَتَّى لَوْ صَحَّ الْإِسْنَادِ فَهَذَا لَا يَدُلُّ عَلَى صِحَّةِ الْمَتْنِ وَيَنْتَقِدُونَ أَحَادِيثِ فِي صَحِيحِ الْبُخَارِ صَحَّ you have this type of statement for some of these intellectuals today. They say even if the chain of narration and everything is authentic, it doesn't necessitate that the hadith is still authentic. And by using this type of principle, they refuse to accept certain ahadith from Bukhari. They say, okay, Bukhari, the chain of narration, all the hadith, it's all authentic. But this text, the actual hadith is not. So they don't want to accept. Because these narrations oppose their intellects. And that's how these philosophers and these intellectual types of people are. Their mind, their own brain, their smartness as they think, dictates to them what the religion should be and how it should be. So if something opposes that, these ikhwanis and their likes, then they refuse to accept those evidences and they make up things like this. The chain and everything can be perfect, but that doesn't mean the hadith is okay. So the shaykh says, you have these types of people and this is either due to their ignorance, لِجَهْلِهِمْ أَوْ لِتَجَرُّئِهِمْ عَلَىٰ كَلَامِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ Or they have some boldness upon the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, the speech of the Prophet ﷺ. Just because it opposes their desires. لِأَنَّهُ يُخَالِفُ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ 
وَيُخَالِفُ عُقُولَهُمْ Goes against their desires and their intellects, so they reject those things. The Shaykh says, إِنَّهُ يَجِبُ عَلَى مَنْ يُؤْمِنُ بِالرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهُ وسلم, أَنْ يُقَدِّمَ قَوْلَهُ وَيَعْتَقِدَهُ وَيَعْمَلَ بِهِ بِدُونَ مُنَاقَشَةً The one who believes in the messenger, the one who is a believer, a mu'min, it is upon him to submit and to accept and to believe and to act upon what the Prophet ﷺ came with and not to debate that, not to argue about that. It is mentioned in the Qur'an, وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ it is not for any believer, male or female, if Allah and the Messenger decree an affair, they declare an affair to be such and such, then it is not for any believer, male or female, to have any choice in that affair. That has been declared, legislated as this way or that way, legislated in the religion, then you must follow that. It is not upon you to debate and argue and to use your intellects. وَمِنْ مَعْنَى شَهَادَةِ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ تَصْدِيقُهُ فِيمَا أَخْبَرَ And in fact the shaykh says, from the meanings of the shahada, from the meanings of the shahada is that you submit to what the Prophet ﷺ informed us, to believe and to accept what the Prophet ﷺ informed us of. Because when you say, أَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبَدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ Then what that is explaining is, طَاعَتُهُ فِيمَا أَمَرَ That you will obey the messenger in what he commanded you with. وَاجْتِنَابُ مَا نَهَا عَنْهُ وَزَجَرَةً That you will stay away from what he prohibited. وَتَصْدِيقُهُ فِيمَا أَخْبَرَةً and that you will believe in all of the information that he informed us of. From the knowledge of the unseen, of the future, of the day of judgment, everything. That you will only worship Allah in the way that he legislated for us. So the third part of that was, That you will have absolute belief in what the Prophet ﷺ informed us of. So Imam Ahmad said to them, I'm shocked. You know all of the narrations, you know the change, you know the authenticity, yet you say, Sufyan Thawri said this and Sufyan Thawri said that. Sufyan Thawri, a great Imam. But you cannot take the evidences below the statements of the Imams. The statements of the Imams are only going to be correct if they are in line with the evidences. يعني يتركون ما صح به الأسناد عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ويذهبون إلى رأي سفيان. So they leave what is authenticated from the chains from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and they go to the opinion of Sufyan. Sufyan ibn Sa'id al-Thawri. He was a great faqih. He was a great muhaddith, a great scholar. And he made ishtihad. And how you know famously about the madhab of Imam Ahmad. The Hanbalis, the Madhab of Imam Malik, the Malikis, the Madhab of Imam Shafi'i, the Shafi'is, and the Madhab of Imam Abu Hanifa, the Hanafis. The Madhab 
of Sufyan al-Thawri used to exist too. You had a full explanation and understanding and these schools of thought as you say, then it used to be a school of thought of Sufyan al-Thawri and his explanations. However, that did not continue. It did not continue because unlike the other four imams who had many students and those students wrote down all of the issues and the masail, all of the rulings and the judgments, they wrote them down in books and they taught them and they passed them on and those schools of thought continued. With al-imam uh, Sufyan al-Thawri, it wasn't in the same way of uh, learning and writing it all down and uh, the same type of recording all of that madhab, so it didn't continue in that way. And it isn't known to the people in our time now as the other four famous ones are known. لكن هو كغيره من الأئمة لا يجوز أن يقدم قوله على قول الرسول صلى but he, like any of the other imams, like all of them, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Al-Imam Thawri, whoever it may be, Rahimahumullah, it is not permissible to take their statements over and above the statement of the Prophet ﷺ ever. The statements of the Prophet ﷺ, the evidences, they are given priority. That's why Imam Malik said, كُلُّنَا رَادٌ وَمَرْدُودٌ عَلَيْهِ إِلَّا صَاحِبُ هَذَا الْقَبْرِ All of us, we can refute other people and we can be refuted. Either we speak the truth and others are wrong and we refute them. Or maybe we are wrong and others will refute us. That can happen to all of us. We are right and we are wrong. Except for the one in this grave. And he was pointing to the grave of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, Because the Imam Malik was from Medina and he used to teach in the Masjid of the Prophet Al-Imam <clears throat> Shafi'i said, إِذَا صَحَّ الْحَدِيثِ فَهُوَ مَذْهَبِي If the hadith is authentic, then that is my school of thought. Don't ever think that the school of thought of Shafi'i or Malik or Hanbal, anybody is superior to the hadith. Al-Imam Shafi'i said, any time a hadith is proven to be correct and authentic, then that is my school of thought. That is what I take. وَيَقُولْ And he used to say, Al-Imam Shafi'i, إِذَا خَالَفَ قَوْلِ قَوْلَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ سَأَسَلَّمْ فَخُضُوا بِقَوْلِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَضْرِبُوا بِقَوْلِ عَرْضَ الْحَاطِ If my statement, Al-Imam Shafi'i used to say, if my statement, what I tell you, my opinion, my school of thought in something, if it opposes what you find from the hadith and the statements of the Prophet then take the statement of the Prophet and my statement, throw it against the wall. Get rid of it. If I ever say anything which goes against what you find from the Prophet in the hadith somewhere, then take that and my statement, get rid of it, throw it against the wall. He also said, Al-Imam Shafi'i, أَجْمَعَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ مَنْ اسْتَبَانَتْ لَهُ سُنَّةُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَىٰ لَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ أَنْ يَدَعَهَا لِقَوْلِ أَحَدٍ كَائِنًا مَنْ كَانَ The consensus of the Muslims exists, Al-Imam Shafi'i said, that whomsoever, it becomes apparent to him a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Anybody 
when it becomes clear to him a sunnah in some issue, then the Muslims are agreed, it is not permissible for you to get rid of that for the sake of the statement of some imam, whoever it might be, of anyone. If some sunnah becomes clear to you, authentic, this is the truth from the Prophet then the Muslims are agreed, Imam Shafi'i says, you can't throw that away for the sake of your imam, but my imam said something else. You have to take what that authentic and true statement is. And Imam Malik said, أَوَكُلَّمَا جَاءَنَا رَجُلٌ أَجْدَلَ مِنْ رَجُلٍ تَرَكْنَا مَا نَزَلَ بِهِ جِبْرِيلٍ عَلَى مُحَمَّدٍ لِجَدَلِ هَأُولَى Imam Malik said, every time somebody who's more equipped to debate and put forth his opinions and overwhelm you with his arguments and bring his ijtihad. Every time somebody comes who's a bit cleverer and he brings his opinions and his ijtihad, are we going to start taking that every time and abandon what was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ? Because these people come with an eloquent way and they come with their ijtihad and their, their opinions and they try to present something to you in a particular way. They present something to you in a particular way. Are we going to start taking those opinions of people every time they come and do that? And start abandoning the sunnah? Of course not. No matter how clever somebody might try and come and show their opinions to you. If it goes against the sunnah, forget their opinions and follow the sunnah. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa said, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa said, إِذَا جَاءَ الْقَوْلُ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَعَلَى الرَّأْسِ وَالْعَيْنِ وَإِذَا جَاءَ عَنِ الصَّحَابَةِ فَعَلَى الرَّأْسِ وَالْعَيْنِ وَإِذَا جَاءَ عَنِ التَّابِعِينَ فَنَحْنُ رِجَالٌ وَهُمْ رِجَالٌ الإمام أبو حنيفة said if a statement comes to us from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَعَلَى الرَّأْسِ وَالْعَيْنِ They have this statement in Arabic, عَلَى الرَّأْسِ وَالْعَيْنِ Upon my head and my eyes. Meaning, that we submit to that statement, we accept it, we take it. Upon my head and my eyes, as they say in Arabic. عَلَى الرَّأْسِ وَالْعَيْنِ Meaning, we're not going to argue with that. We take that, we accept that, we do it. Then he said, And also, if something comes to us from the companions, عَلَى الرَّأْسِ وَالْعَيْنِ We don't argue against that, we take it and we accept it. Then he said, and if something comes to us from the tabi'een, the third generation, he said, well, they are men and we are men. Then we can look into the affair. He said that especially because he himself was from those early generations, he was from the followers of the Tabi'een. He was born in the year what? What year was Al Imam Abu Hanifa born? One hundred and fifty Hijri. Agreed or not agreed? Yeah, 
150 Hijri was the year that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa died. So when was he born? 80 Hijri. Born in 80 Hijri. Died in 150 Hijri. So he was from the student of the Tabi'een. Some of his teachers were from the Tabi'een. For Abu Hanifa, and he was the oldest of the four, from the four famous schools of thought, he was the oldest. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. He was the student of some of the Tabi'een. It is mentioned in some, some biographies and things, it is mentioned that possibly Al-Imam Abu Hanifa met some of the companions because they were alive. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was born in 80 Hijri. The last companion died when? Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was born in 80 Hijri. The final companion from all of the companions, the last one to die, died in what year? One hundred and ten Hijri. One hundred and ten Hijri. So Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, was thirty years old by the time the final companion died. So there was all that time span where he could have met some of the companions, possibly. So it's mentioned, possibly, that he took from some of the companions. However, those biographies where it mentions that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa met the companions or some of them and took knowledge from some of them, none of those stories are actually authenticated. It is not proven that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa met the companions and took from them. It is not proven. It is mentioned, but not proven. Possibility is there, like we said, possibility is there. He was born in 80, the final companion died in 110. There is a possibility, but it's not proven. There is no narrations that are proven that he met the companions. So nevertheless, the Tabi'een certainly. He took from the Tabi'een and he studied with some of the Tabi'een, i.e. with people who had studied from the companions. The Tabi'een are the ones who studied from the companions. The next generation after the companions. He certainly sat with some of them and took knowledge from them. <coughs> so he was the oldest of the four, from the four famous schools of thought. Born in 80 Hijri, died in 150. Who was the next oldest? Who was the next oldest? After Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. Al-Imam Malik? What year did he die then? Hundred something. Two hundred something. Before two hundred. Correct. Who was after him? So Imam Malik was 179. Then Imam Shafi'i, when did he die? 204. Where's your phone with Google on it? 204. And then after that, Imam Ahmad died when? 
Yeah. You gave us two, you have to give us the third one as well now. Two late. Two hundred and forty something. You're very close. So no one knows when Imam Ahmad died? Two hundred and forty something is correct. Two hundred and forty something. So your homework is to find out when did Al Imam Ahmad pass away? Rahimahullah Ta'ala. So he was the last of them. Al Imam Abu Hanifa, Al Imam Malik, Al Imam Shafi'i, Al Imam Ahmad. And coincidentally, the year Al Imam Shafi'i died, 204, was the year that Al Imam Muslim, Sahih Muslim, was born. He was born in the year that Al Imam Shafi'i died. So now, the point that we were looking at here was that all of these four Imams, they all made statements to the same effect. Every one of these four Imams saying, basically, if anything comes from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, which is authentic, that is given priority over my statements. That is what you take, not my statements. So, you saw the statements here, Al-Imam Shafi'i saying, throw my statement against the wall, if you find something from the Sunnah authentic. Al-Imam Hanifa saying, anything which comes from the, Quran, the, the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba, then we take it completely, no arguing against it. Al-Imam uh, 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 Maliki said, all of us can be right, all of us can be wrong, except the Prophet ﷺ, meaning anything which comes from him, the Sunnah, the Hadith, you take it. Al-Imam Ahmad here, you saw him saying the same thing, that you know the change of narration, you know the Sunnah, then why are you going to other people and taking their ijtihad? Go to accept the Sunnah. So, هَذِهِ مَقَالَاتُهُمْ رَحِمَهُمُ اللَّهِ تَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْوَاجِبُ هُوَ الْأَخْضِ بِمَا صَحَّ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ اجْتِهَادَاتِ الْعُلَمَ يُسْتَفَادُ مِنْهَا وَتُدْرَسْ لَكِنْ إِذَا خَالَفَ الدَّلِيلَ شَيْءٌ مِنْهَا فَيَجِبُ الْأَخْضُ بِالدَّلِيلِ وَلَا يَجُوزُ التَّعَصُّبْ لِقَائِلِهِ فَإِنَّ تَعَصُّبَ أَحَدٌ فَإِنْ تَعَصَّبَ أَحَدٌ لِقَوْلٍ يُخَالِفُ الدَّلِيلِ وَقَعَ فِي هَذَا الْمَحْظُورِ وَصَارَ مِنَ الَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا أَحْبَارَهُمْ وَرُهْبَانَهُمْ أَرْبَابٍ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ So the ishtihad of the scholars, yes, it is good and we benefit from that. But if any of the ishtihad opposes the sunnah, what is authentic, then it is impermissible to blindly follow the ishtihad and abandon the sunnah. Then you must follow the sunnah. And leave that ijtihad. وَنَحْنُ لَا نَرْفُضُ الْفِقْهِ كَمَا يَظُنُّ بَعْضَ الْجُهَّالِ أَوْ بَعْضَ الْمُبْتَدِئِينَ بَلْ نَعْتَبِرُهُ ثُرْوَةً عَظِيمًا فِيهَا عِلْمٌ غَزِيرٌ فَنَدْرُسُ الْفِقْهِ وَلَكِنْ لَا نَأْخُذُ مِنْهُ إِلَّا مَا قَامَ دَلِيلُهُ مَا عَلِمْنَا أَنَّهُ خِلَافَ الدَّلِيلِ حُرِمَ عَلَيْنَا الْأَخْذُ بِهِ أُحَرُمَ عَلَيْنَا الْأَخْذُ بِئْ مَعَ اتِذَارِنَا لِقَائِلِهِ وَاحْتِرَامِهِ لِأَنَّهُ لَمْ يَتَعَمَّدِ الْمُخَالَفَةِ وَالْمُجْتَهِدُ يُخْطِئُ وَيُصِيبُ فَإِنْ أَصَابَ فَلَهُ أَجْرَانِ وَإِنْ أَخْطَأَ فَلَهُ أَجْرٌ وَاحِدٌ وَالْخَطَى مَغْفُورٌ كَمَا صَحَّ بِذَلِكَ الْحَدِيثِ So we study fiqh, no doubt. And we look at the ijtihad of the scholars, and we look at the fiqh, and we learn it. We do all of that, of course. 
But if the ijtihad is incorrect and it goes against the sunnah, then we don't blindly follow the ijtihad. We follow the sunnah where it is authentically proven. As for the scholar who made that ijtihad, which is apparently against the sunnah in that issue, the scholar, you keep your respect and your honor for that scholar. And it is mentioned in the hadith that if a scholar makes an ijtihad and he makes an error, then he still has one reward. And if he gets it right, then two rewards. So the scholar, his honor is preserved. The one who makes a ijtihad, the ones who get to the level of ijtihad, now the four schools of thought, famous to everyone, known, not a single one of them can be said that everything is perfect in it. It is not the case. There will be some things which are correct and some things where there were issues and maybe others had a more correct opinion. That's why you don't blindly follow one madhab. Rather you follow the madhab of the salaf. Follow the evidences and the proofs. And all of those scholars you benefit from them. Imam Malik, Imam Hanifa. Benefit from them but we don't blindly follow one only whatever he says that goes. Because then some points there will be errors and there will be mistakes and be against what the sunnah says. And now you've seen all of them said, if the sunnah comes authentic, follow that, don't follow my statement blindly. So this is what's required for a person to do, and not to blindly follow the people, to follow their leaders, or follow their people, in whatever they tell them blindly, in opposition to what may be mentioned from the Qur'an and the sunnah. (coughs) In this narration then, Al-Imam Ahmad continued to mention the ayah, فَلْيَحْضَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْ تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَا أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Let them be warned, those who oppose the command, his command. Let them be warned, those who oppose his command, that a fitna will overcome them, i.e. shirk. Or a severe punishment will overcome them. Who will the fitna overcome? And who will the severe punishment overcome? The ones who oppose the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and they blindly follow their people upon ignorance and wrongdoing and opposition to the sunnah. Those who blindly follow their leaders in opposition to the sunnah, knowing it's opposition to the sunnah, then the ayah says, let them be warned that a trial will overcome them. And that great punishment will overcome them. So we'll make a mark at that point and we'll carry on with the rest of that chapter from the next session, insha'Allah ta'ala, next week beginning at 8 p.m. once again. So we'll conclude there for tonight. Wasallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. No, with all of the books of the Sunan, there are some narrations which are weak, and there are even odd ones which are fabricated. Odd ones. And no doubt there are some narrations that are weak. The books of the Sunan, (coughs) and other books of Hadith, sometimes you have to understand the scholars of Hadith, they wanted to collect only the authentic Hadith that they could find. Like Al-Imam Bukhari, Al-Imam Muslim in their books. 
Sometimes the scholars of hadith have a different purpose. It's not about just finding all of the authentic narrations only. Sometimes they want to find all of the different hadith for the chapters of fiqh. So sometimes they may put a narration in there which has some weakness in the chain of narration. But because it is a hadith which is used by the people in fiqh and understanding of fiqh, they put it there in the book so everybody can see this is the hadith which people use. This is the hadith which has been used for this issue, for that issue. Even though the hadith may not be absolutely authentic and may have some deficiency in it. So with those books there are some narrations that are weak. And there are some narrations, the odd ones that are fabricated. But the easiest way maybe to distinguish are the books of a Shaykh al-Albani. He has on all of them, Abu Dawud, Nasa'i, Tirmadhi, Ibn Majah, one volume where Shaykh al-Albani checks every hadith and he gives you a small ruling at the beginning of each hadith, authentic, sahih, hasan, weak, fabricated. There are copies of Sunan Abi Dawud, Ibn Majah, Tirmadhi, all of them, Nasa'i, where Shaykh al-Albani has checked all the hadith and at the beginning of each hadith tells you whether it's authentic or not. So that's maybe the easiest way to check those ahadith and to know what is authentic and not. So we'll leave it there. We'll carry it next week at 8 p.m. insha'Allah. <laughs>